Hey, everyone. Our next guest is Tim Arrigo. He is a motivator and a coach and a very well-educated man in the areas of improving yourself as a man and overcoming addiction. He has a new movie coming out that is a documentary called The Threshing Floor, which you're seeing right now if you're watching. Welcome everybody, Tim Arrigo. You don't think about tomorrow. You don't think about your 30s and you don't think about having a family. That's not on your mind. What I'm thinking of is how do I live like this tomorrow? We need to be a healing place. A healing place, you have to be able to expose wounds. No one's too far gone. No one's too far gone for Jesus to bring back. Came home one day, he's like, have you notice all the crosses around here? <laughs> I thought he was just losing his mind, but actually he was finding his mind. Some of the most powerful lessons in life come out of our pain. And for me, that's exactly what happened. Unfiltered with Matt Farnsworth. I'm here with Tim, everybody. Uh, unfiltered, welcome back. And I was on Instagram and I'm scrubbing around and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't ever really go on any of the feed and like scroll or any of that because I just, just totally rips my dopamine apart. And I saw you just like going off about, you know, men and being men and being the man that you're supposed to be for your, your spouse and, you know, you're, you're, you're mentioning God, you're talking about all the things that vibe with me. And then I, I go to your page. I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta check this guy out. Cause you know, you were intense, dude. Like you're like me, you're, you're super intense. And, um, I see this picture of you on your profile beyond driven. And I'm like, what's going on here? Cause this looks like, this looks like addiction to me. I mean, you're very thin dude. And yeah. I'm like, I got to reach out to him because here's, here's this guy who's obviously turned his life completely around is preaching and it just motivated me like, and, and beyond driven, like I was like, okay, like it, 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 this brand is aligning here. It's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. So I wanted to jump on and just talk with you a little bit because I don't know a lot about what it is you are doing. Um, I've studied it some, I understand, you know, helping men with their relationships and being the men that they're supposed to be, which I think is fantastic, but I would like to dive deeper. So I really appreciate you jumping on today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I, you know, you know, Matt, I'm an open book and, you know, a lot of the times in, in my past, I didn't really have mentors or people. I didn't really even understand what my problem was. You know, and I think it's important that, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, there's people out there like you that are doing this to really provide value to people because there are people that are in the dark and they're lost and they don't actually know what their problems are. You know, I think from the surface, it's it's very easy to point out what your problems are. But a lot of times those problems aren't the real problem, right? They're a byproduct of something much deeper. So, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would love to, I mean, like I said, I, I just saw the picture and I'm like, this dude, this is like, this looks like me, you know, nine years ago. This is where I was at. It looks like a low. It looks like a bottom. And then I see this dude like lifting and, uh, you know, getting cut and, you know, you got a, a beautiful wife. I, I see, you You know, you're, you're all this great stuff you got going on in your life. Uh, beautiful kids. And I'm like, this, this is a really unique story. So, 
talk to me a little bit about you and sort of how this whole thing evolved. I know you have Beyond Driven. I know you've got a company and you're helping people. You probably got courses. You got a lot of stuff going on. But let's talk about, you know, how this all started, um, you know, and how it began with you and how this evolution happened. You said you had addiction issues and stuff. So I'd love to get into that and then sort of progress forward from there. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, if you heard anything in the background, that's my kids. Uh, so I grew up in Southern California and I grew up amidst kind of the skateboarding surf culture. Mm -hmm. Um, music was a big part of my background. I grew up playing music, was in several bands as a young kid. And, you know, when I grew up, um, there was a lot of things that were going on in my life, you know, with my family and, and just my, you know, I came from a broken home. My, my, my parents ended up getting divorced. And amidst that time, I was kind of, I was a rebellious kid by nature already. Um, and, you know, being a part of kind of the music culture and, you know, skateboarding and some of the influences, you know, I kind of, I started, you know, dabbling in drugs like anybody else. And, you know, I didn't know where drugs would take you. You know, like I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, I kind of was just, you're hanging out, you're partying with your friends, you're having a good time. And, um, I got, you know, I got addicted and the, I was, it was kind of like the perfect recipe for addiction. It was like the home life was kind of up in the air. Um, I didn't have a lot of good like role models or a support system. I was already kind of a go against the grain type of a guy. Um, you know, I got it. I got shifted from, you know, one school to another. I was having problems in school and, you know, you hang out with lower companions, people that you can connect with people that look at life the same way that you do. And I got addicted to methamphetamine at 17, went to the psych ward, went to a meth induced psychosis, came out of there. I didn't want to touch meth anymore. Um, and so I started dabbling in pills. And during this time, this was like the wild, wild west in, in California. So I started getting into doctor shopping and um, going from doctor to doctor and it was the Oxycontin epidemic and I got swept up into Oxys and Xanax and then started, you know, using those to supply my habit, um, you know, selling them to supply my habit. And uh, I wasn't a good person then. And mm -hmm. it basically went from Oxycontin to heroin. And once I crossed the line into heroin, um, that was when things got really dark for me. And I went into um, a long struggle with heroin, which eventually ended up with me uh, contracting hepatitis C and getting put on interferon. Um, interferon is like chemotherapy. It was, uh, it was a drug that you had to take for 48 weeks. And the success rate was uh, less than, uh, I think it was, I think less than 50% of the people completed treatment because of the side effects were like suicidal ideations and crippling anxiety and depression and, um, and the success rate of the medicine was also very low. This is before Gilead came out with like Harvoni and some of the other drugs that are out now. Um, so I, I got on interferon and I uh, was doing the interferon and at the time I wasn't, you know, injecting heroin anymore. I was just eating, you know, Oxycontin and, um, and methadone and, and Xanax. And I had a marriage that failed. Um, I had every relationship in my life failed. Um, nobody wanted anything to do with me. Um, and I was just lost and hurt, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I could walk around and I kind of just thought, I really believed, you know, like that this is just my life and this is how I'm supposed to live my life. And 
you know, you couldn't kind of convince me otherwise. Like I just kind of, I thought I was broken. I thought I was a broken person and I thought I needed to be on drugs for the rest of my life. Like at least some type of medication, like, you know, I need to be on meds of, you know, Zoloft or Wellbutrin or Paxil. Like I I'm, I'm a broken person. And one day, um, I wasn't able to get my usual prescription of the methadone that I was on at the time. And so, um, I went back to the doctor and he gave me a script for Oxycontin again. And I kind of felt like I was going backwards. And remember I kind of was sitting on my bed and I was doing, I did a, a shot of interferon and the, the interferon drug was already wearing me down bad, like really bad. You can see in the photo, like I was already like emaciated. Most of that was because of the interferon and all the drugs I was on. Mm-hmm. And I just decided I kind of had an out-of-body experience and um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me mm-hmm. and said, this whole time you thought you were in control, but really you're just a slave. <laughs> and, um, and it seems so cliche now looking back, but at the time when I heard that voice, it gave me a panic attack. And I realized that I can't leave the city. I can't leave the county. I can't go on vacation. I can't even live a normal life because I'm totally dependent. And it's been, you know, since I've been 13 years old, I've been dependent on something and whatever it is. And, um, so I was on the interferon, I was doing the interferon and I had this kind of white light experience and I decided to get off of everything and I didn't have insurance. So I couldn't go to treatment, you know? So I I went to the hospital and I said, Hey, I want to get off these drugs. And he said, well, what are you on? I said, well, I'm on methadone and I'm on interferon and I'm on Xanax. And they're like, Whoa, like, first of all, we don't do a methadone detox here. You're going to have to go to the methadone clinic. I'm like, well, I'm not getting it from the clinic. I'm getting it from a doctor. And the doctor won't titrate me. He won't take me off of it. Now you guys are telling me you're not going to take me off of it. And they're like, and also interferon, like, I highly discourage you from coming off of anything on interferon. Like, it could be fatal. But you know, like, how we are, right? I was, like, already committed to it, you know? Like, I was already, like, I'm doing this. Yeah. And um, I went home and I decided to... You know, as I was walking out of the hospital, a guy chased me down. He said, hey, we can't help you, but this guy can. And it was the number for a doctor out in Riverside. And uh, I went out to Riverside. I got these meds and I proceeded to go through basically a grassroots detox at my house off of all the drugs. And in that experience was uh, I had a total white light experience and I hit my box, hit my knees and my boxers about three days in. On the Mm -hmm. third night, I hadn't eaten or sleep, uh, slept and uh I just called out to the Lord and I said, Jesus, if you're really real, come into my life. And I said, you can kill me. You can have me. I said, whatever you want to do with my life, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. If you're really real, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel on Tim Arigo. I'm done. Like, you can kill me. You can end my life right now. I'm done. And if you're really real, change me. Please help me. And I fully surrendered and gave my life over to the Lord. Like a full, like a real surrender, mm-hmm. like a death to myself. Mm-hmm. And I was hurt, hurting bad. And, um, I instantly, I was a barber at the time. So I instantly, I just had this calling on my life and I just couldn't ignore it. It was like this anxiety. I would go to the barber shop and I would feel this like anxiety after the detox was over. And God just kept telling me, go, go, go. And I kept thinking like, where am I going? And I just had this insatiable urge to want to help people. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, that was when I started working in the clinical setting, went back to college, you know, got my credentials. Um, and I started working in the field and I realized that I had a gift and that I could help people. And Mm -hmm. because I had been there because I, and then I just made me so driven and passionate 
to want to work on myself to be better because I realized that the better that I was, the more people I could help. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be better. I want to be beyond driven. Like I want to have, I want to be a better man. I want to evolve so hard in my life that everybody in my life will have to get to know me again. I want them to look at me like they, when they see me, like they've seen a ghost. Um, like, like, you know, and that was my desire because it really gave me purpose being able to help people. Mm -hmm. So long story short, you know, that was pretty much how it happened. And, um, and then I kind of working in the set, the clinical setting, I kind of saw what was wrong with therapy and what was wrong with counseling specifically for men, mm -hmm. you know, that the therapeutic industry is dominated by women. It's a model of dependency. It kind of keeps you in this, you know, reliance on another person. They're using techniques on you, not teaching you how to use them on yourself. They're, they're kind of, you know, dragging you along. They're validating you. They're not challenging you. There's no community. And so I, uh, about 10 years in, I just said, I'm, I'm done with this. And uh, I said, I'm going to do my own thing. And I started consulting and, and building out kind of my own thing. And that was pretty much uh, the birth of Beyond Driven. I was doing a fitness program and I got connected uh, with a guy who was connected to that program. And that was where we basically got connected and started Beyond Driven. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it, the whole story is amazing. I was in the same kind of situation you were. It's so interesting that we reflect like these mirrors of our, our story. It's just like, Oh yeah. Okay. I, yep. Check. And I was in Costa Mesa check. too. <laughs> we were probably there at the same time. I don't know probably. when this will happen. Probably, bro. It sounds like you've been a little before my time there uh, in terms of getting sober, but sure. I, um, yeah, I, I, it's amazing when the, like first the Holy spirit stepping in and just sort of overtaking everything, you know, when it descends, it really is a powerful, thing it's more it's like the most overwhelming thing that ever happens in your life and so many people deny this now and as you and i go along and we we could i'm sure you and i could go on and on about this but as 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 you know everything happens in the world you know going to become more and more hated here for these beliefs and you know that as well as i do and you understand that there's no stopping what's happening here with revelation um I think you and I are on the same page, but I sure am glad I'm on this side of it. Um, and amazing story. Love it. So you're out there helping guys and showing them the light and um, helping them improve themselves. What, what do you see happening with men? You mentioned therapy is often not working, and there's also the medication that they prescribe, right? that uh, weakens you, takes away your testosterone probably, um, doesn't allow you to, you know, have the, you know, sexual uh, working that, you know, you want to have and depletes you. Uh, but what, what do you see that, um, you know, you're improving here for people? What's, what do people come at to you with that are the, the main problems and how do you start working with them? What do you do? Yeah. So the, the main thing when we really work with guys is, what they're really missing is they're missing the awareness to know what their problems actually are. And, okay. you know, like when a guy initially comes to you, he, he's going to be really focused on the external, right? So he thinks that he needs to tell you his life story and he needs to tell you every little minute detail of everything that's happened and why it's relevant. And uh, the proprietary method that we use is called the inside out method. And I called it the inside out method because 
you can't fix the inside from the outside, right? You can only fix the inside from the inside. And so initially when guys come, there are blind spots. And usually, you know, when we achieve things in our lives, you know, a lot of times we think if, if, if somebody reflects the problem to me, a lot of times I'm thinking I, I should be able to solve this on my own, especially if I'm a go-to guy that's a go-getter or I push through or I use force um, mm-hmm. to achieve things in my life. So a lot of guys, they don't have they don't have the awareness. And I kind of explain it like this. It's kind of like walking through a forest and you see trees and you see moss, but that's all you really see. And once you develop the awareness, it's kind of like going to school for botany or horticulture. It's like you're walking through the same forest, but you're like, hey, this is this type of tree and it's probably this old. And these are these types of moss and this grows in these conditions and it grows in during this time. And so your level of comprehension, your level of clarity, you are now able to make distinctions in life that you could not make before. And your ability to make distinctions allows you to look at problems with a completely different mindset. So the problem I think is as men, it's hard for us to reach out. So guys are already dealing with the shame, the embarrassment of having to reach out. Like I should be able to solve this, especially when it's their marriage, right? It's, it's humbling to have to reach out and say, Hey, man, I need help. Um, and unfortunately a lot of what's out there in terms of men's mental health or men's coaching is kind of this extreme kind of red pill, right? Like, you know, discipline, you know, um, and all that. But if you're a guy that already had that, if you're a guy that's already done all that, like you don't need, the pendulum doesn't need to swing in that same direction. And you don't need to develop the power through mentality because what works in the boardroom doesn't work in the bedroom, right? The power through mentality doesn't work in a relationship. So what needs to happen for guys, I think, is that guys traditionally as men, we really struggle in terms of how we understand process and cope with what goes on with us on the inside. Mm-hmm. We bury a lot. We suppress mm-hmm. a lot from a societal standpoint. We're told like, don't pay attention to your feelings. You know, there's people in high positions that'll tell you like in positions of success, that will tell you that the way you feel doesn't matter. Um, so I think for guys that are struggling, I think the first step for them is, is to really develop the awareness around what the actual problems are and to not make those external, but understand that they're always internal. And I remember like, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where, you know, I remember the first time I got challenged to look at my past. And I remember thinking like, why am I going to look at my past? I'm just going to get angry. Like I'm just going to get pissed off. So why am I going to talk about my past? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't have the understanding of, what that was going to do for me. It's like, you know, if you want to know how you got to where you are, or if you want to master yourself, you got to know yourself and to know yourself, you got to study yourself. You got to understand yourself and, and the conditions and the circumstances that caused you to think and feel and behave in ways that got you in the position you're in. Because if you can't, then moving forward in your life, you don't have the ability to make those distinctions. You don't have discernment. You don't have clarity. You don't have wisdom that you can deploy into your future that will allow you to sustain the change. So I think for guys, I think that's the first place is that's really the cornerstone is building out awareness around what the problem is. Because I think a lot of guys, they just, they don't know. And it's hard for them to admit that. 
Yeah. Not great communicators either. And you're not going to be a good communicator at all when you're stuffing stuff down. It's just not going to happen. I have a sobriety course that we're releasing soon. And rather than just make it about sobriety and how to get sober, it's about emotional sobriety. Because this is what men don't do. We don't look at those times, you know, that we've had all these issues and say, well, why did I do those things? What was I insecure about? What was I afraid of? We don't do that. And I, I think that we lose a lot there. You know, it's, it's like you said, not understanding and having awareness and, and going into the forest and, uh, you know, not being able to see the actual trees and the flowers and name them. You made a really good point there because the second guys open up, let's call it, you know, metaphorically that Pandora's box, the second that they open that up, immediately this this like they'll they'll acknowledge like okay there's insecurities or there's unresolved traumas or there's things that are showing up from their first marriage or right there's maladaptive behaviors or there's whatever it is then immediately the second they do that the the almost like the secondary response becomes judgment of themselves so it's like this this super self-critical judgment of like i'm weak i shouldn't have these problems and I sh now I now I feel like less of a man and that something is wrong with me. And now that I'm talking about it, I don't I don't see the benefit of working through it. I just want to cover it up and move forward. It's 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 a natural response to pain. You yeah. know, it's it's you know, why would I want to look if something's painful, but I don't understand how to navigate through that pain then why would I want to do that? Why would I want to talk about it? Why would I want to ask for help? Why would I want to reach out? And as men, usually we don't reach out until everything is on fire. <laughs> you know, until everything is burning down to the ground and it's like, all right, I'll go, I'll go in and I'll, I'll, I'll do, you know, I'll do some work or I'll, 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 I'll work on my marriage. And the problem with that is sometimes it's too late is guys are externally motivated. It's like, I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose my wife. And so now I'll change. But in their mind, they're automatically connecting like this desire for an outcome, right? Like I, the expectation of like, I'll work. My personal development journey is now based in the catalyst is losing my marriage. So I'll work on myself, but I want to get my marriage back. And I think so many guys are, it's like, man, this is about you, man. Like, this is about you, brother. Like, this is about you loving you and having a healthy relationship with you where you can operate with precision and clarity and achieve everything you want to achieve, not just monetarily, man. You know, because we learned that that doesn't fix those things. No, but it's from not. the inside, right? Having true, meaningful relationships. You know, like if you talk to any guy that's, you know, and I've talked to a lot of guys, worked with a lot of guys who are some of the top performers in America mm -hmm. and all the guys will tell you the same thing. Money can't, money can't buy you happiness. It'll buy you pleasure. It'll give you a good time, but it's not, it's not going to buy you what you want. It's like, yeah. what do I want? I, I want to have peace, Tim. Mm -hmm. I want my wife and I to be on the same page. I want my kid. I want to be a good leader for my kids. Like I want to be a man that I admire and respect. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, what happened to me. I mean, you're, you're telling my story there, you know, very closed off my first marriage. Again, I don't think that I was fully in love. 
Okay. Because I didn't yeah. love myself. I didn't care about who I was or what I was. I was just, I didn't look, I identified with what people identified me as. However, I grew up, this is how, this is the labels that people put on me. That was and, me. That was me. Like I'm a musician. I'm mm -hmm. a skateboarder. I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like my identity was in that stuff. Yeah. So I would, could totally relate to that. Yeah. And, and so we get programmed that way. And then to deprogram that, you've got to be able to get raw. You got to go in the darkest places, man. There's a monster inside. And I always say, you got to take that monster out and you got to look at it and you got to figure out what the heck is wrong. It's probably never going to go away completely, but we need to yeah. shrink it down, put it away in a cage and say, you stay there. And we're going to use these tools to keep you there. You're not going to come back out. And then my second marriage, you know, I love this woman, right? And, and I, I want to listen to her and I will check myself <laughs> before I do certain things or say certain things, you know, and, and, and we're right. different creatures. We're very different creatures. And I just make sure that I'm very respectful, you know, and I think that that a lot and, and respectful to myself, like I'm not afraid to be emotional. I was never emotional, really. I was very closed off. And don't you find that a lot of men are very afraid to be emotional or tell their wives, how beautiful they are, um, how much they love them, how much they care about them, um, being affectionate. Like those kinds of things were frowned upon like growing up for me. I never really saw my dad do it a lot. I'm sure there are a lot of men that have that in their lives, but I didn't see it a lot. So I was never super affectionate that way, but it is something that women crave, that connection and communication. Can't just jump on in the bed every night, flip on the TV, start watching Netflix and then expect to get sex. That's not how it works. That doesn't no. turn them on. No. And I think a lot of guys really, really struggle to express themselves because it's not something that is modeled, you know, and a lot of guys don't feel like they have permission to do so. And I mean, it's funny too. Like if you watch, if you're in like any type of men's group and you watch somebody get honest and vulnerable, like if, if you're, if you're like a man who operates with confidence and self-esteem and worth, like you're never going to look at that guy and judge him. Like, if anything, you're going to look at that guy and be like, man, a lot of respect for that guy. Like, I know that's hard. Like, and you know mm -hmm. what? I totally relate to that. And I've been there or I'm going through that. But it's the irony is, is when we actually have an opportunity to get vulnerable. It's almost like immediately we go into the shame of like, what is somebody going to think? Like, what, mm -hmm. what are they thinking of me? And the reality is like, nobody is thinking that. Like, if anything, like. And if anybody is thinking that, like, first of all, what deep, dark, insecure places I come from in them, or they're going to judge you for getting honest about something you're struggling with that you want help on. Mm -hmm. And number two, I think like we feel this fear of judgment or the fear it, we're, because we're so concerned about what people are thinking about us. It's like when I was in that, in the middle of that detox and I was thinking about having a new life, like I wasn't thinking about like what people were judging me over. I wasn't concerned about what people were going to think of me. All I was thinking is I have a second chance at life. I have a second chance at creating a family. I have a second chance at, at finding my purpose in this world. And I think that when men can find a judgment-free zone, a, a zone where there's like-minded men who are on the same path, the same journey, there's synergy in that. And, and that's why I think that men get lost in therapy because they get lost in therapy. And then the only other option to them is like this pseudo macho, right? Coaching thing that where they think they need to like deadlift, you know, a thousand pounds to be a man. Mm -hmm. 
And it's like, man, like if, if you've already achieved that and if you've already been on that side, you already understand as well that like, that's just called overcompensation, right? Yeah. Like you're just overcompensating. And what is that? You're trying to make up for something that you believe is lacking. So I, I really try to teach guys that it's about becoming fully comprehensive. It's about becoming multidimensional. Like, look, there are times, like you should be able to meet the moment with whatever the moment most requires from you. If I'm walking down the street and some guy attacks me and my family, I should be capable of violence. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. But if my daughter is, you know, gets a bad grade on her quiz and feels really like hurt by it and, and her feelings are hurt or my wife's going through something or somebody experiences a loss in the family, like that moment requires compassion. Maybe I get up early and I don't feel like going to the gym. That moment requires discipline. Like maybe my wife is, you know, trying to share her feelings with me and that moment requires empathy. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's about being multidimensional, fully comprehensive. And it's about being able to meet whatever moment that is in front of me with whatever that moment most requires from me. But if I only have the same three tools that I'm using in every situation, it's like, well, those tools aren't universal in the sense that they don't apply to every situation. And so you're going to experience areas in your life where what works in one area doesn't work in another. And so then guys go like, then what do I need to do? And so in their mind, they're thinking it must be so simple, right? Like it's simple. But the reality is, is emotional intelligence, right? Like communication skills, coping methods, right? Um, conflict resolution. Like these things are not easy. No, they're not no. easy. They're not. It's just like recovery. What do we say? Right. Um, look, it's simple steps, but they're not easy. So <laughs> we, we, we have to understand that you're going to have to have discipline to, like you said, brilliant. What you're saying. Yeah. I mean, absolutely brilliant, multidimensional man. Can you be that man and don't expect it overnight? Like, okay, I'm going to do Tim's program. I can't expect that I'm going to wake up the next morning and be here. I'm just going to straight line right to there. Now that's not how life works. That's not how it works. And we got to work on this and it's going to be ebbs and flows. Just like with recovery, you're going to have bad times. You're going to have good times and you're going to have to have the toolkit and your tool system here to meet those requirements at those times. And frankly, none of, you know how it is. Like sometimes you're going to be on a big high or a big low, but they shouldn't give you so much of an emotional fuel one way or another that you tip and you try to keep it even keel. And so I totally vibe with everything that you're saying. And that's why I knew when I, I knew, like when I heard you talk, I'm like, there's something going on here that's really deep. And so, yeah, I love that. So you're helping these guys and their marriage. So what are some things that, you know, guys who are struggling in their marriage, like, right, what are some, some elements they struggle with in terms of, you know, is it, my wife is not attracted to me anymore. My wife is having an affair. Um, you know, I can't, I, I, I'm ashamed of my body. I'm, what are they, what are some of the things they come to you with? They come to us a lot of times with surface level issues. Like my wife says I'm a narcissist or mm -hmm. I think I'm with a narcissist and they get trapped in a lot of the buzzwords. That's one, you know, there's sometimes there's infidelity on either side. Um, a lot of times they'll come where the, the divorce just comes out of nowhere, comes out of the blue. My wife doesn't want to be with me anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on thin ice. We've tried counseling for the last three years and it's done nothing but made it worse. Um, my wife and I argue a lot. Um, this is my third marriage. 
Um, I, the, the last two marriages ended the same way that this one's about to end. Um, I've achieved success in area, every area of my life. Why can't I fix this problem? Um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of the same stuff and, and from a very high level, it's the same, but when you really dig down, it really niches down to three types of guys. So you have the aggressor who's more of a, so when he gets triggered, he's more of a fight or flight guy. He goes into, he goes into fight mode. He's the aggressor. He is aggressive. He's overbearing. He reacts impulsively. He says things that he regrets. He has that overactive amygdala where he just goes straight into fight. He gets extremely reactive and he says and does things that he regrets. He feels a lot of shame about it. And he's constantly sabotaging and blowing up the marriage. And he really struggles with this. Then you have the second type of guy who is an avoider. He avoids everything. He is more, um, he's very avoidant. His attachment style is usually an avoidant style. Right? He has an avoidant attach attachment style, like a dismissive avoidant style or a fearful avoidant style. He's, he has a tendency to be more dissociative. So he disconnects more. He's more emotionally disconnected. He's more, um, he's more numb and he's okay. His tolerance for dysfunction is very high. So he's okay unplugging and just disconnecting and avoiding sweeping things under the rug. So this would be a guy that like, the last guy is the guy that kind of put up with anything. Yeah. He'll, he basically will put up with a lot and mm -hmm. basically will procrastinate and just kind of kick the can down the road. Yeah. And then you have the third type of guy who is a, he's a, he's a placator. He's a pleaser and he is more of a yes, man. He has no sense of personal boundaries. He avoids conflicts at all costs. He will walk on eggshells. He will, um, actually emasculate himself in the marriage by mm -hmm. basically creating a power struggle by giving in and not asserting himself, doesn't stand up for himself, tolerates getting treated terribly inside his marriage. Um, and he, because he's not in a position to assert himself and lead, his wife almost has to take that position, mm -hmm. right? So those are usually the three types of guys. Those are the archetypes. Underneath that fall, obviously, all of their defensive you know, behaviors, all of their maladaptive coping. Um, and the real root of the problem a lot of times is they have no understanding of psychology. They have no understanding of neuroscience. They have no understanding of cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, rational emotive behavioral therapy. They don't actually have any strategy at all. So the strategy is like maybe something that might've worked in their childhood, but it, it's like those same childhood survival mechanisms, they backfire in your adult life and something that, you know, in the future, when you're trying to use it in the future, well, it, it might've helped you develop mastery early on, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work now. So those are usually the three types of guys. And we do all the assessments from the very beginning. So when the guy comes in we give him a comprehensive assessment, we walk him through the client success roadmap, right? We explain basically the breakdown of, Hey, this is what we've discovered so far. And we basically format what he needs to begin resolving right away. So we prioritize it. We're big on curriculum. Um, so we teach, always teach from curriculum. We're always providing tools. And the tools that we provide are all evidence-based. And we provide a lot of tools and exercises. So my frustration with therapy was that I was going and I had done EMDR, right? I had done CBT. I had done all types of talk therapy and all types of like somatic therapy. And 
I remember it was like probably this was like 2011 or 12. I came out of therapy. I was in Corona Del Mar and I was like walking on the beach right there. Beautiful night. And I remember thinking to myself, like, is this working? And I remember thinking, I think it's working. But then I realized that it's, I only think it's working because I'm talking and I've actually just never talked before. And this is like the first time that I've ever actually said anything. And I think I'm just feeling better because it's like cathartic for me. Like I'm getting it off my chest, but I'm not actually solving anything. I'm actually thinking now I have more problems than I actually do. Was this like right? one of the first times you heard your inner voice and you really started communicating yes. with? Okay. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was, it, was a, it was a realization of like, I'm going to therapy. Is this working? I think it's working. And then realizing the only reason I think it's working is because I'm talking and, and not actually seeing any other option for me. Like, and then I, my desire, when I started working in the clinical field, my desire was like, these guys need tools. Like these are guys, like you can't put a guy in a gym and like not give him like machines to work on or like you, you got to give him like dumbbells. You have to give him like, you can't put a guy and tell him to, you know, fix a house and give him a screwdriver and tell him it's the same thing. You know, it's one tool. It's a universal tool. It's like, yeah. so my desire was to create modalities and interventions for guys that would help them identify core beliefs, right? That would help them regulate their emotions. I would help them improve their emotional intelligence that would help them overcome shame and guilt right? Mm -hmm. That would help them dig deep on their cognitive distortions, irrational belief systems, self-defeating thoughts, their reactivity, their codependence. Um, and so my desire just became, how do we get these guys to a point where, because everybody has coping skills, like you're going to, no matter what, like it doesn't matter if they're healthy or unhealthy, you have coping skills. Yeah. But you got to have this awareness issue to start. Like it has to be like yeah, the very first yeah, thing yeah. you got. You got to like, have the awareness. You got to have yeah, the awareness. Cause like, so you got to build that for them. Like, how do you get them yeah. to see the forest through the trees? Like, okay, First you're, you're, you're talking to yourself. You got emotional. You're talking to yourself. Do you know that? Do you hear the voice you're saying? Do you hear the negative feedback? Yes. Do you hear what you're saying? Like, like that has to be, I, I imagine that's one of the first things you do is like, boom, you got to listen to this. We give them an exercise. Um, it's called the house of mirrors that I created. And basically it's, it's, it's kind of three dimensions to the exercise this is one exercise that I give them. It's kind of halfway along their journey. I give it to them. And the first part is what I portray. So who I show myself to the world as, right? What do I portray? The second part is what I hide. Everything that I hide from the world that I don't portray, that you don't know about me. And then the last part, so they fill out the, what I portray and what I hide. And the last part is what others see. So then they have people in their life fill out what other people see. And even walking through that exercise, a lot of guys will get through it and they'll realize like my self-perception is so off based on like what people are seeing based on what I'm thinking and feeling about me. And I've always said behavior never lies. Like if you ever want to know how a guy thinks and feels about himself, just look at his behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially mm -hmm. like with addiction or anything at all, even, even blowing up a marriage. It's like, well, your behavior says everything about how you feel. Well, no, it doesn't. It's like, well, look, this, the beautiful thing about this is this doesn't need your validation, right? It doesn't need your validation. So you can say it doesn't all you want, but the sun's coming up tomorrow, whether you like it or not, it doesn't need your validation because you would never be doing this in the way that you're doing it. If that wasn't the case. But the problem is you don't have the awareness to know that or see that. Mm -hmm. So I agree, man. That awareness has to come first. 
And then secondary is kind of the empowerment through the tools. And once they start actually implementing and deploying new skills, which will engage their brain in neuroplasticity and start to fire and wire new neural connections, yeah, that's when they start to step into flourishing because they realize what I set out to achieve, I'm actually surpassing because it's leaking out into other areas of my life. Like personal development, man, like any guy that steps into personal development, works on himself, he realizes mm-hmm. at the end of the process or no, when he decides to sustain what he created, when he's not just fixing stuff anymore, what does mm-hmm. he realize? It's the best thing I ever did in my life because my business is doing better. My family's better. I'm healthier. I have a better relationship with God. Like mm-hmm. my habits have changed and I'm just, I'm, I, they realize like, this is the best thing ever. So before they get there though, it's kind of like empowerment. Then they step into flourishing where they're really working on like, what are my daily habits? What are the, like the, the thoughts that I think, the emotions that I feel, the behaviors I engage in, my, my daily routine and having those distinctions and continuing to repeat what they've learned so they can sustain it, right? Because guys get breakthrough, but mm-hmm. getting breakthrough is one thing, but sustaining it is another, right? It's like sobriety. Getting sober is one thing, but recovering is a whole nother thing. Yeah. Right. Like, like a hallway, like, you know, like you can see a hallway, like it's just a long hallway. And throughout our life, we've trained ourselves to when something happens, open these particular doors. But we've never given ourselves any tools in the hallway to grab onto and start changing and start working yes. on a different door. Let's cut open another door. Like, okay, I had a really rough day at work. Um, you know, maybe I need to go and talk to my spouse about that instead of like, you know, go drink a beer. Dysfunction breeds dysfunction. And I think that guys, I, 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 a lot of guys, a lot of guys blame their wives. And so many guys, I mean, I get on calls with thousands of guys and they blame their wife a lot. And it's like, brother, like if you, you bring out the worst in your wife too. And, And the reality on the other side of this is like, if this is unsalvageable, which you're not even clear about yet because you haven't done everything you could to potentially try and save it. If it is unsalvageable, like wherever you go, there you are, man. Like, do you think that your spouse is the problem? Like you're going to end, you don't attract what you want. You attract who you are. So you're going to end up in the same relationship with the same type of person and the same behaviors are going to come out. Like, yeah, you might, you might be in that honeymoon stage and that love bombing phase in the beginning and everything's, you know, grandiose and over the top, but eventually you're going to end up in the same position that you were in before. Yeah. I wonder how my, my, my relationship now, like you say that, and it's like, I don't think there's a, a moment that goes by that I don't think about her in a positive way. And I don't think there's a moment that we've spent really, there's not much time we've spent apart, but I, I've never regretted her. Like in the five years, like I've never like six, five and a half years. Uh, I've never regretted this woman. Like I've never regretted the decision one time. I still look at her when she's brushing her teeth at night, no makeup on. And I'm like, I am a lucky dude. That's the greatest feeling ever. I I think that is the greatest feeling juxtaposed with the worst feeling, which is having anger and animosity and hatred towards someone that you chose and continue to choose to be Mm -hmm. with. It's like, guys, it's like you're complaining about your wife. You don't want to walk away. And it's like, so why aren't you walking away? And it's like, Oh, right. <laughs> it's you're like, right. Function. You're, 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 you're attracted to the sickness. There it is. And, and, and for you and I, like, we know what that's like because it's very obvious when you're addicted or experiencing substance dependence, it's very obvious that like, I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to not only the, the substances, I'm addicted to this life, the chaos, the stress, the cortisol, the adrenaline, 
the 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 negative excitement that I get from it, right? The the fact that I'm hiding something and I'm and I'm or I'm doing or it's it's all it's all like negative reinforcement through dopamine. Absolutely. I've been there. I lived it. I've been there too, man. That's... Yeah, let's fight to have sex, you know? Yeah. It's ridiculous when you think about it. Like you really, the normal life is so boring. It's going to be so boring to have a normal life. No, it's actually wonderful to have a very calm and normal life that is loving and caring and intimacy stronger. It's better. It's more powerful. You have a deeper connection. Wouldn't you say like when you get intimate with someone and you're like, I love you, like, you know, when you're making love and you're like, I love you, like Christ loves the church. I mean, I sometimes will thank God, like that I'm actually able to do some of these things. I'm like, I thank God, like that I'm here and I'm able to be with this woman where I never thought that in any of my previous relationships because I really wasn't well. And it was me, man. It was me. You made a really good point there. Like, isn't it crazy where... You know, part of having that relationship with the Lord is like your morality changes. So like what you thought was okay now no longer becomes okay. And now you don't have self-respect because you're not the man that you know you need to be. Whereas before, like the way we lived our life, it's like, man, if I, if I burn this person or talk to this person in a rude way, like, well, whatever, like, it doesn't matter because like your inter your sense of morals and values is so compromised but when you discover and find the relationship with god like god works on that for you and things that you used to be okay with you're now convicted by right it's oh. like I, now i feel convicted like oh man i was kind of rude to that person like i need to apologize and it's mm -hmm. like oh like you know like i i don't want to engage in this behavior because like i'm not i know i'm not going to respect myself if i do Right. And it doesn't mean that I have to be perfect, but it means that there's always this internal governor, the Holy Spirit, right, that is constantly keeping me in check. And I'm not. And, and so a lot of guys, they don't they don't have that system of morals and values. And we look at the world we live in today who don't have that system of morals and values. And it's not about like, oh, I'm holier than thou and I'm self-righteous and I have these godly morals. No, it's just right and wrong. What's right and what is wrong? And you and care about your salvation, bro. Like this is yes. your salvation, man. Like, and, and we care about other people's salvation. And if I didn't tell you about that, then I wouldn't be doing my job as a Christian because it would mean I didn't care about you. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't, and I, I agree with everything. Like, look, I completely feel differently now about the way that I treat people and the way I speak to them, if I'm rude, I, I, you're right. I do feel this overwhelming desire, this need to say, look, I'm sorry. I, I, I acted inappropriately. Whereas before I wouldn't have cared because I didn't have any guidance. I didn't have that Bible to guide me as a guidebook to live. And that, let's be real. That's what it is. And so many people out there like you and I, there's, there's Christians out there and there's people out there that will actually claim to be Christian, but they don't read the, the gospel. They're not active they in it. Share it. They don't no. share it. They don't talk about it. And I think that is like, I'm capable of, I'm capable of every negative thing that any other man is capable of. Right. Oh yeah. But I've been able to understand. And I think you as well is the ability to extract a sense of self validation, right? Like a healthy sense of pride and self-respect 
from doing what's hard. It's like, I'm choosing to love because love makes me feel like it is hard for me at times, but I'm choosing, I'm choosing forgiveness because it is the higher road, but it's hard. That's why Christ was the epitome of power because he could literally love the people that hated him and wanted to kill him and did, you know, try mm -hmm. to. It's like, so I always look at that and I think like, I know what I'm capable of. Like, oh, yeah. you know, and, and I know that I'm capable of doing any other thing that, you know, could be perceived as negative or evil or maladaptive, whatever. But I'm choosing to walk this path because the ROI is internal. It's a sense of, I have a clear conscience today. I don't feel guilt and shame. I don't feel regret or remorse. I don't live in the past. I'm not angry and, and anxious and frustrated, or I'm not trying to escape my life because I'm so tormented on the inside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've been there. I've been right where you were tormented, like back in the day, the same thing we had, we went through the same thing. And now I just feel like what, what a gift, you know, gift. was given to, you know, die for our sins silently, by the way, not, not saying anything, not, I mean, like, just gave it up, you know? And, and I think so many people wouldn't do that. Like 99.9% .9 of people would, you know, would not do that. But this is, you know, this is an interesting, interesting topic. And we could go a long time on this, but I, that salvation, I go back to that, you know, where, where I realized tomorrow could be it. I could be called. And, and that, that is an appointment that no man can miss. It is, it is appointed. So we will meet that maker. Like in the end, it is appointed naked. You will be there and you will be judged. And all roads lead to heaven, by the way. All roads apparently lead to heaven. So false idols, false religions, all these things lead to heaven or apparently do. But it's a very small window that gets to go in. They all appear to lead there, but they don't. And, and that's what it is, man, you know, and, and it's a narrow path. And so I think about that sometimes I'm like, the narrow path, you know, and, and I need to live my life the right way. And so I do make, you know, poor decisions, which we will, man is full of sin. And I, I fall short, but I know when I do, and I do see it around me more. And I don't know if you, this happened to you, but it did to me. The more I believe, the more I see oh, yeah. evil or things that, you know, coveting oh, yeah. and, you know, these things. <laughs> your eyes come become open. The scales fall off your eyes. Man. That's one of the craziest things because you start looking at life and life takes on all you starts, everything starts making sense. And that's why I try to tell people too, like I've had radical encounters with God. And it's like, do you think I believe in a God that I don't have experiences with? Like, do you think I just believe in this magical fairy tale thing that you think I believe in? Like, no, bro, I'm, I'm, I have a relationship with a living God who is, who has a relationship with me and speaks to me and communicates with me. And I have experiences where I'm in tears, man. Like, there's times where I'm driving my truck and like, I'll be listening to worship or something and I'll, and I'll, it, it, dude, it, it tears me up. And, and I feel that connection with God. And it's like, I know that it's God. I know that I'm communicating with God. I know that I'm communing with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so for guys, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to be religious or I was raised, you know, in this way. It's like, well, bro, I was raised Catholic. Like, mm -hmm. you know, our parents, my, my parents we went to church, but it was something we did. It wasn't something we lived. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's not about religion. It's about relationship, man. And understanding that like 
that right there is the umbrella that everything falls under. So it's like you, and also it aligns you with, with other men and brings in the spiritual component, which is you, which you can't neglect, right? If you're going to be healthy and you're going to be sober and you're going to be recovered, it's like, what is the, the, they call it the psychic change at the 12th step, which Mm -hmm. is when you helped another person and you understand that God turned what was a negative thing and was set out to destroy you into something beautiful that blessed another human being. It's like the psychic change is the relationship with God, right? Let's call it what it is, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the relationship with Jesus Christ, not a doorknob, not the rooms, right? Like Jesus, yeah. which aligns you with a bigger picture of a meaning and understanding. You, I mean, look, people like, how do you know God is real? Dude, because he changed me. First of all, nothing could change me. Nothing could change me. No, yeah, me either. And and God, once he once my heart shifted, it opened me up to what else is out there. And God will put people, tools, resources, programs in front of us that are designed to help us. Yeah. We have and, belief. there's belief, right? I mean, it's beautiful belief. And and like even atheists, guess what? You believe in something and to have belief, you have to have the Holy Spirit. It's so funny the way that operates in in our lives. I have that now today and my life has never been the same. Everything changes. The Trinity is there. This people, a a lot of men and you work with men and, and this is an interesting fact. My wife brought this up. She's like, I think a lot of men struggle with Jesus because he was a man. And I thought, wow, yeah, I mean, you would not want to submit. Some men would not want to submit to another man because what they don't understand is this is God in the flesh on earth. This is a man who's never committed a sin. This is not a man who's after your wife, guys, (laughs) you know? And I think a lot of guys don't get that. They have this, you know, I'm not going to submit to, you know, this. You You know what that's from too that I've found? Hmm is that it's always connected their their relationship with their heavenly father is always filtered through their relationship with their earthly father their biological father mm-hmm. and so they think like god's too distant that he doesn't care about him mm-hmm. that he doesn't have time for him that he's bummed on him that he'd be that he's going to punish him huh. so they look at the lord they look at god through the lens of their biological father and when you understand their relationship with christ and why they're distant and why they don't want to submit and then you do a little like digging into their past and some reconnaissance. What do you discover? It's like 99% of the time there's father wounds. And so it's hard for them to wrap their mind around a loving God that would accept them, love them, regardless of whatever they do. That doesn't even, they. it's like Ephesians, right? Where it says we can't even comprehend the depth of God's love. It's like how they can't understand, their mind can't fully comprehend that their that God's love for them is not based on what they do. It's based on who he is. Right? God mm-hmm. is love. Mm-hmm. And they can't get out of the, like, you know, if that's really real and then they, or they connect it with religion. You know, my stepdad was a hip, he was a Christian, but he was a hypocrite. He abused my mom. And it's like, well, you don't have a problem with God. You have a problem with people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you've cut the communication line off. It's not a one way communication when you're feeling down or you're in trouble. This is a constant line of communication It's always open. It's always open, but so many of us choose not to go there. So many people choose not to have that open line of communication. I find myself occasionally slipping where I need to get out in the morning. I get up every morning and pray, but there'll be the occasional time when I slip and I start to feel myself slip away. And I'm like, oh man, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, and, and, and you feel it like you feel the, 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 the pull back to the Lord. And you, you're, you're like, it's interesting for me. Uh, my life has changed so much, so drastically that I, I have this guy, Gospel of Christ. He's a wonderful YouTuber. Okay. He's got 700,000 subscribers, right? So I'm like, I'm feeling this. I love his stuff. I'm just going to reach out and say I like his stuff and I'm, I want to do an interview with you. So we end up doing an interview. And all of a sudden he's like, do you want to do a podcast together? And I'm like, dude, I just came into the faith like five years ago. You know, I'm halfway through a MacArthur study Bible. Like, are you sure about this? And he's like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's from Haiti and he's been ministering for many, many years. And I was just shocked. I'm like, yeah, I'll do this. So, you know, I bought, I'm actually starting a, a ministry in some way. Like I've been pulled, I've been pulled, pulled in, brought in, you know, and I, I wasn't even expecting that. Man, congratulations, bro. It's I'll be crazy. keeping that in prayer. That's powerful. Yeah. I, I, and he kept, he kept saying to me, you were so pushy about me being on a, your podcast. I'm like, dude, I messaged you like one time. <laughs> so are you sure it was me pushing you or it was something else? That's totally the Holy Spirit though. That's ordained. That's ordained, right? Like mm. God already, he had already established that. And I yeah. think that's the, um, that's such a, that's such an interesting thing too, because guys back to kind of the the results the outcome most of the time when they actually step into their own self-discovery journey and they either dedicate their life or rededicate their life or just are open to the idea and planting seeds what ends up happening it, most of the time the results they end up getting either a they surpass the result they wanted or they end up getting returns and dividends in areas of their life that they never anticipated mm -hmm. they never anticipated and you're giving and my them good daughter, sir man you know you're giving them the soil yeah. with the program that's the thing they're not going to throw it on ground that won't grow you're giving them that foundation i can hear it yeah they're not and you know we have a good friend of mine his name is pastor joe fury he works with us Mm -hmm. Um, I have a, you know, other spirit filled coaches that work with me and they're great, 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 solid men. Um, and Joe Fury, I mean, that guy's been through everything in his personal life and, and mm -hmm. he's lost two children from two separate, you know, incidents. And so, I mean, he, and it's like, and, and watching him has been so inspiring for me, Right. Watching him, he lost his son from an overdose and his daughter was murdered by her husband while they were on the phone with her. I know this name. And he, he's been a very, very close friend of mine for years. Mm -hmm. And watching him persevere through his struggles and losses in life has truly changed a lot of my perceptions around God and faith and Christ and what it means to be in the battle, right? Because if, if, and this is kind of a larger concept, it's kind of ethereal, but in reality, if the, if the, it's like that worship song, right? The war is already won. It's like, so the battle's already won, like Christ already won. So that's, and, and time only exists to us, not to God. 
So it's like, what are we in? We're in this literally, like if the battle's already won, we're in this fight. It's like, we're just in this gap of time fighting this spiritual battle as, as soldiers of Christ. So when I think about being a Christian, I don't think about like, you know, me going to church with my suit and tie on and I'm nice and clean shaven. It's like, I see myself in the spirit as a, as, as a warrior with, 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 you know, chinks in his armor and I'm, I'm battle tested. I'm scarred. I've been through it. And, uh, and that's, I think a lot of guys have that difficulty understanding that like the most powerful thing you could ever do as a man is step onto the front lines of ministry as a Christian man, Mm -hmm. because you are literally fighting a battle rather than being a part of the sideline and then pretending like you're, you know, it's like fighting a battle. Are you fighting a real spiritual battle? I see myself like this is what we do is frontline ministry. Like we literally have a ministry set up at the gates of hell. We're trying to divert people away from hell, Mm -hmm. right? We're trying to get people away from the sin and the darkness and the things that are trying to tear and destroy their family apart. So there's a massive target on our back. We come against spiritual warfare all the time, all the time. That's all the earth is. It's just, it's ruled by Satan. So what are, we're always battling and the great tribulation. I mean, we know what's coming. We know what's, I can see it. I mean, you and I could go on and on about this. I mean, Israel becoming a state in 1948 enacted the ability for this to all happen. I mean, that, it, until it was, until it became a state again, it what the, the revelation wasn't going to move forward. But my goodness, can you see it now? There's no politician out there. There's no government. There's nothing that's going to stop this. Yeah. Nothing. And that's a hard pill to swallow as a Christian. I think a lot of Christians get really frustrated with politics and stuff. And I try to tell them, like, look, brother. <laughs> Did you read the Bible today? Like, hey, remember yeah. it gets worse before it gets better? Mm-hmm. Like, remember it gets really bad? It mm-hmm. only gets worse. And it's like, it's a hard pill to swallow. And it's hard to acknowledge that, but it's the bigger picture, right? It's like, what am I doing? Why am I here? What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. What What am I fighting for? Because we're all fighting for something. It's like, either you're fighting to hide what's going on with you on the inside. You're fighting, right, to... uh you know, um, continue to engage in self-destruction or you're fighting against, right. What God's trying to do in your life or, or you're fighting. What side are you on? It's like, yeah. just decide what side are you on and make a choice and what kind of guys and what kind of people do you want to be around in terms of the battle? Like in terms of a battle, like I would want to fight with you. Like I would want to be on the front line with you because I know when I look over at you, like, you're going to be like, Hey, yeah, like I'm with you. Like mm-hmm. I'm in this, like mm-hmm. I'm committed to this and I have no other choice. The calling that's on us as men of God, the calling is a heavy call. It's a heavy call. And it, it, is. it is a big responsibility because it requires you to live not perfect because that's impossible, but yeah. above reproach. It's like, hey, I, I don't do these things anymore because it's not in alignment with my call. And so there's a spiritual obligation on you to uphold the call that's on your life. And, and God doesn't, you know, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And, you, you know, know, both you and I have been given so much grace that we're, I'm, I'm owed, I owe this. And I know I'm going to be persecuted. Yes. I know I'm going to be persecuted. I understand that. Yes. I know that uh, that's yep. going to happen. I know the that truth when I, always is. 
Yeah. When I said, oh yeah, well, they can't believe the truth. You know, the truth, the truth would be too much for them to bear on this earth. These people don't want to hear the truth. Um, but hopefully some do. And hopefully there are people that we can save out there. And that would be my goal. My goal would be to do this ministry, to work with this man, the, the gospel of Christ, John Henry, out there, to put this message out there, even if it does bring me a lot of trouble, which I'm sure it will. I'm sure there will be issues. That's fine. But maybe there will be people that we can save. Maybe there will be. And I believe that will happen. And even if it's just one person, isn't that worth it? So worth it. Mm-hmm beyond worth it. You know, yeah. I always tell guys too, that I work with and it's a human life. You know, you made a difference. Even if you just helped one person, that's a human life. And, and tell me the value and the purpose that you feel in your heart, knowing that you helped a guy restore his family. And in turn, that's part of the ripple effect, which just brings glory and honor, not to be on driven and not to the guy, but brings glory and honor to God for what he did in his life and the fact that we were able to be a part of it because it's like links of a chain. It didn't start with me, right? But God's obviously put me in this position to be able to assist these men and guide them and help them to become better versions of who they are and align themselves with God's will in their life so they can achieve what they want and inevitably be in a position to do that for the next guy because they can impart the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience there. They can impart that on the next person. So before they were a liability and now they're an asset. So any place they go, they're an asset. It's like when you got years of recovery and you go around people that are struggling with it, you're an asset in that environment. But when you're not living in alignment with who you need to be, you're a liability. You're a liability to your family. You're a liability to your children. I, I get on calls and, and guys would be, um, people would be blown away. I'll get on a call with a guy and he'll tell me, my kids are suffering. I'm about to lose my family. My Both my sons are watching me be the worst example in the world. And then when it comes time, he'll tell you about his pain for an hour. And when it comes time for him to pull the trigger on the solution, what does he do? Balk. Let, let me think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, what about next week? Um, uh, let me talk to my wife. And it's like, bro, what are you talking about right now? Like, and and, and the problem Mm -hmm. is, is they live in the illusion that like, oh, I am doing something about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, brother, you're on the fence and the fence is owned by the devil, right? Like you're on the, you're not, you're, you think you're on the fence. Like, oh, I'm, I'm looking into something. I'm working on it. No, you're not. No, that's just a wife card. That's a wife card. That's a, you know, you got the wife card. Yeah. I'll go to AA, honey. I'll go, I'll go a couple times. That doesn't work. That's not a program. That's not going to help you. Right. We all, God knows we tried that one. That, yeah, that doesn't work, man. That's like, that's like guys who have, you know, who have an obvious drinking problem and they're like, I could stop anytime I want. And they're, and they'll stop and be like, look, I stopped for a month. And then you're like, yeah, bro. But look, you stopped for a month, not to get sober, but to prove to yourself that you don't have a drinking problem. And you went right back to drinking again. So like, stop with the, self-deception and self-manipulation, right? Like stop. And they're even a bigger jerk that month than they ever have been in their life. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Just full dry drunk, haven't done any work. Yeah. Just white knuckling dude, (laughs) wanting to drink, waiting for that 30 days to be up. It's like, what? and I've been there and I've been there. And so if anybody's listening to this and you're in that position, man, Mm -hmm. that's why guys like Matt and I are here is to support and help you, bro. Like you're not alone, you know, and don't feel 
embarrassed or ashamed, like, man, like we are all in this together as brothers. And the more that we can change the stigma around men's mental health, the way more that we can change the stigma around, you know, the way that guys get healthy, you know, the better off society and humanity will be in general. And that's part of our legacy as men. And that's our responsibility. It's like, so if you're listening to this, just know that like, there's nothing wrong with you just because something's wrong with you. Yeah. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel, man. It's no matter how small it is, there's always a light. And I think people, they just get in that position where they just don't, they just don't see light at all. And they don't think they ever will. And I've been there, but it's okay. There is a light, no matter how dark it, how dark it is right now. There's a light out there. There is a light. Yeah. Hey, I hope guys out there listen to this. If if I were back in the day, I would do your program. I would be like, yes, I need to do this right now. So if you're struggling at all, definitely Beyond Driven. Do you have a website? Yeah, it's uh, beyonddriven.com. Okay, yeah. cool. We do beyond-driven.com too. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, you can find us all over the internet. If you just you know type in Tim Arigo Beyond Driven, something will come up. We have a lot of free resources. Uh, we have a free course we give away. Um, we have tons of resources and we, if you do determine, you know, obviously we would need to determine if you're a good fit and we can actually help you. Mm -hmm. Um, most importantly, like if you're lost and you're struggling and and you're having problems in your marriage and you're having problems, you're having inner conflict that you just can't solve when you've tried things in the past and you don't know where to go, contact us. Cause even if we can't help you, we're plugged in and we can point you to somebody that can. Tim, I appreciate it. This has been a pleasure. Matt, honestly, thank you, man. Um, I appreciate you having me on here. And uh, it's been an honor, brother. Thank you.